you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 5. Hayden, that uh, song goes right along with my message. Amen. James chapter 5, we're going to continue to thought about um, riches. Riches. About um, handling what God has given us. Let me just say right up front, you're not the owner, you're the manager. God owns it all. Amen. But you know what I love about being a Christian? We're good stewards and we're entrusted with some things uh, like life and health and strength and a sharp mind, some of us, and a good-looking face, a few of us, of y'all, not me, and um, blessings of a family, a house, a home, cars, all the things that probably a lot of people took for granted until that hurricane hit, and now one bottle of water such a blessing. Air conditioning such a blessing. A home that's dry. It's such a blessing. And so I believe we're all guilty of taking our blessings for granted, but I believe that we ought to get, get with it and, and uh, be the best businessmen we can be, the best employers, and employees, carpet makers, whatever y'all do uh, for a living, do it all to the glory of God. Amen? Uh, I, I don't think God's against us um, making money, buying and selling and getting gain. If we put God first, and we ask for God's will and God's blessing and Him to be glorified through all that we gain. Reminds me of a fellow that owned a pet store and I heard about this man who went to the pet store and he, he went to this particular place and he wanted a parakeet that would talk. And he said, uh, do you have a parakeet? He said, yes, I got one on sale, $25, guaranteed to talk. The man uh, thought that was a bargain. He bought the parakeet, took it home, waited a day, and two days, then three days passed. Parakeet never uttered a word. He, the man went back to the pet store and said, I thought you said this parakeet could speak. Well, he said, he does speak, but he said, you know, he always first gets on a little swing and swings before he speaks. Don't you have a little swing? He said, no. He said, well, here's a little swing. It'll cost you $10. You need a little swing. The parakeet will will swing and then he'll speak. He's a swinging speaker. No. And, uh, and so the man brought the swing and went, bought the swing, went back. The bird didn't speak a word. He came back to the pet store owner and he said, hey, the bird is still not saying a word. He said, well, you know, he always swings and then he looks in the little mirror before he speaks. You don't have a little mirror? And he said, no, I don't have a little mirror. He said, well, that'll be $15. Sold in the mirror. He went back home. The little mirror... Waited a while and came back, and he came. The parakeet still did not say a word. He said, you mean he sits on the swing and swings, looks in the mirror, and, peck, and he pecks the, a bell, and he doesn't say anything? He said, what do you mean pecks a bell? He said, oh, he always pecks the little bell before he speaks. You need a little bell. Uh, that bell will cost you $20. And good businessman. And you like to have this little bell? He said, yeah, I'll take the bell. I just want him to speak. And after a while, he said, look, look, the parakeet has not said a word. He said, do you mean that parakeet sits on a swing, looks in the mirror, pecks the bell, runs up and down the little ladder and never says a word? He said, little ladder. He said, do you have a little ladder? He said, no, I don't have a little ladder. Do I need to buy a little ladder? He said, that'd be $15.95. And then he finally sold him all that and he begrudgingly spent some more money for that little ladder and he went home. He came into the pet store and he said, man, how's the parakeet? He said, the parakeet's dead. He's dead. Yes, he's dead. He said, well, did he ever speak? He said, yes, he spoke. He said, well, what did he say? 
He said, just before he fell over dead, he looked at me and said, don't they sell any bird seed in that pet store? <laughs> Priorities are important. Amen? Priorities are important. And I believe with all my heart, you need to keep your priorities straight. Amen? When you get rich, as some of you are, mere uh, worldly speaking, because to the third world, you're a king. If you own a car, you're looked up as very rich. If you own a home, you're looked up as very rich. But I want you to notice verses 1 through 8, and then I'm just going to try to jump to the positive side, because I really blistered it this morning. And... Uh, but you know, we had a visitor from Albany that came to me and said, I really appreciate that message. And that meant so much to me that a visitor would say they appreciated a message like that. And I thank God for that. So I want you to get the positive side of giving and living and stewardship tonight. And I'm thrilled that God has entrusted me with what he's given me. I don't have much. I have a paid-for house down on a dead-end road that I bought as a repossession and tried to fix it up best I could. Try to keep the yard neat and clean. And my wife tries to cut the grass at least once a week. And uh, I appreciate that. But, uh, you know, I believe that uh, I can look back on my life and say I've tried to be a faithful steward. I've tried to take this pastoring very serious. And I believe if I ask you to visit, I ought to visit. If I ask you to be faithful, I ought to be faithful. And um, I appreciate so much the opportunity of a life to be a good steward. With all the opportunities God's given. To be born in America. My goodness. We ought to willingly and thankfully support missionaries that don't have the privilege of a church like this. Don't even have the gospel. And so let's be good stewards. But I want to read these verses. Stand on the word of God. I was going to have testimonies about awesome preaching in August. And we just ran out of time. Hayden, you did a good job, buddy. Tell you what, he loves to sing. Matter of fact, I'll tell you what, we're going to have to give Miss Rebecca a raise because she has to practice about 15 hours on every song that he sings. And then he's so vain, he brings his own photographer. That's something else. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. I was smiling the whole time. I didn't go to sleep one minute because I knew I was on camera. So I wanted to really be encouraging. Amen. Well, let's get to the Word of God. Amen. It says, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for the miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and, and rust of them shall be uh, a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together uh, for the last days. James chapter 5, verse 4. Behold, the hire of the laborer who have, have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them have reaped or entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on earth, and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed and the just, and, doth, and he doth not resist you. In other words, you can buy fancy lawyers and pay the judge off, and you don't have a hope against these rich people. But look at verse 7. This is where we should be faithful. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord any moment. Behold, the husband waited for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you so much 
for the way you spoke to my heart this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'll speak to my heart again tonight, that we'll keep our priorities straight. God, that we'd realize that uh, everything that you've given us is from God and that we're to be good stewards. God, thank you for just uh, the Word of God tonight that we can study about what it means to be a grace giver, uh, what it means to live by faith, and what it means to live by faith. And God, how you'll bless us for doing exactly that. So Lord, please, please help us tonight as we study the Word of God. And Lord, as we don't make the mistakes of these rich people and lord it over people and get crooked and get selfish and get uh, self-centered, God, that we can be blessed to be a blessing. That we have the channel of grace flowing through our life of giving. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do in through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I've learned over the years that you can out, not outgive God. God has given you everything. God has blessed you with a family. God's blessed you with breath. God's blessed you with a job. And I believe the Bible tells us that in these blessings, that we ought to be blessed, a blessing. That we should not just live for ourselves, to heap it upon ourselves. And we're to be fair and we're to be good employers and good employees and, and we're to be good stewards. And that brings me to my last point of the message is that, folks, we need to be good stewards of the blessings of God. The Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Let me give you four principles real quick. This will be more of a lesson than it will a sermon on scriptural and spiritual stewardship. When I was a child, I honestly thought that a steward was a Methodist deacon. I didn't have a clue what a steward was. So I looked it up in the Webster's Dictionary several years ago. A steward means a supervisor an administrator, a manager, a keeper of accounts. And folks, it's a sacred trust. And the New Testament teaches us that we are our stewards. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. I hope you'll take notes, and I hope you'll write these down. But 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I want you to look at uh, uh, verse 1, please. 1 Corinthians 4, 1. The Bible tells us how we can be good stewards. It says in verse 1, let, let uh, a man so account of us as ministers of Christ, as stewards of the mysteries of God. More it is required of a steward that a man be found what? Faithful. We need to be faithful with what God has blessed us with. And folks, I want to tell you something. God has blessed us so much, so very much, that we take it for granted. But folks, if we'll just count our blessings, name them one by one, and not just bank them, and not just store them, but I mean share them, you'll be the happiest Christian in the world. The first principle of Christian stewardship is this. God owns everything, including you. Amen? In Exodus chapter uh, 19, verse 5, it says, All the earth is mine. In Psalms 24, verse 1, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Haggai, that'd be a good study. We might just go to Haggai Wednesday week, amen? Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8 says this, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. Folks, I'll just tell you what. God owns it all, amen? And I want to say this, monkey believers, God's created us all, say amen. If we didn't, once, we didn't flip over and become a tadpole and show up at a shawl running a plant. 
Folks, God did not make, uh, God made man, and God still makes man, and monkeys never have made man. And we don't make ourselves. Isn't that humanistic? We're our own maker. No, we're not our own maker. God's our maker. And I believe God has a threefold claim on your life. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. I'm going to give you a threefold um, claim that God's got on your life. Number one, uh, it says, Do ye thus requite, requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? You know what that's saying? Don't argue with God. Don't argue with God. Some people have put up a great argument that they can keep what they want, live like they want to, and friend, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says, don't requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise. Why? Is, not he the, is he not thy father that has bought thee? Number one, because of Calvary, he paid it all. You owe everything to him. All to Jesus. I believe that we owe him. Jesus paid it all. But we ought to at least give our all to him. And then it says, hath he not made thee? So not only is he your savior, he's your creator. And if he created you, he created you to be a giving being. You know why marriages are in such terrible shape? It's because two selfish people can never, never meet each other's needs. And folks, two people full of themselves, they will leech each other to death. But folks, two people filled with the Spirit of God, their greatest challenge is to outgive each other. And folks, that, that is not manipulation, that is giving. By the way, if you can't come on Friday night because Junior's running the football across the touchdown line come Saturday morning amen I don't blame you. if Junior was out there I'd be there too but I want to tell you something you can get in on the on the uh, uh, sessions on uh, Saturday morning and uh, just come amen nobody will look at you and say oh they weren't here last night they won't know who, who was here but you ought to come if you can at least get on half of the couples retreat and I'm going to tell you something one of my themes is you got to die to self be filled with the spirit of God in order to give to your mate it's spiritual oneness most people are manipulative. They're not ministering grace to the hearer. And then it says, and has established thee. And has established thee. Here's the third reason. Because God, by his grace, has kept you alive. Amen? I let Miss Emily, my granddaughter, drive home uh, this, from the restaurant today. I was in the back seat in the floorboard. Miss, and Ad, Addie, Addie kept saying, what you down there for, Papa? I said, I'm praying through, praise God. I'm praying through. Thank God she didn't train, wasn't trained in South Africa. They drive on the wrong side of the street. When Kevin Hall came, this is the gospel, when Kevin Hall came back to Dalton, Georgia, he got on the wrong side of the road and wondered why everybody was coming his way. I said, I'm glad I wasn't in the car then, praise God. I got closer to the Lord than when I was riding with Emily. But I want to say this, folks, God help us. God help us to realize he has spared our lives today. Didn't mind. Amen. Hey, he, you could have you could have choked on that pizza at Gondoliers last Sunday night. Amen. You could have fallen out of the stands at that Auburn game, or you could have uh, you could have fallen out of the stands at that Tennessee game. If you ever went to a Tennessee game, they say it's a hundred thousand people, and even the stands shake when they applaud. Amen. Now, if the if the team can get this shaking, we'll be all right. Amen. But. But uh, I thought, man, I don't want to be up that high if the, span, if the stands is shaking, you know. But, you know, it's the grace of God it didn't cave in. It's the grace of God some uh, ISIS terrorist hadn't uh, attacked your shopping mall. You're blessed, you're saved, you're created, and you're sustained by God. And here's the principle. You're not your own. God has given you everything 
for you to be faithful. It's a sacred trust to keep. Why don't you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. Would you please write these, these references down and go back to them later? How many is glad you're in the house of God tonight? Aren't you glad God gave you a want to to be here tonight? Amen? Praise God. What a blessing uh, just to have a want to be in the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Um, I want you to look at verse 20, please. All the um, uh, books with the T's are together in alphabetical, and I can't find it, uh, any of them. Here it is. 1 Timothy. I want you to look at uh, uh, chapter 6, and I want you to look at... Uh, uh, verse 6, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. This will set you free, amen? This will set you free. The Bible says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Can somebody say amen right there? You know, we're a complaining society, aren't we? And I want to tell you something. Men gripe as much as women. That's right. Praise God. They do. Amen? And we don't have our way. We don't have our, our uh, meal just right. We're going to have to say something. You know, and praise God, you're going to be lonely after a while eating your own burnt offerings. But look at verse 7. It's for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain that we can carry nothing out, except Rick um, personally. He did, amen. He did have a U-Haul behind his hearse. God help him. And uh, I was glad he's in South Africa. But anyway, certain we carry nothing out. That means, folks, listen, what are you going to leave behind when you die? Everything. Look at verse 8. Having food and raiment, let us therewith be what? Content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation. I want you to underline that. That they that will be rich fall into temptation and a what? Snare. You should not live to be rich. You should not live for money. You should not live thinking about money all the time. Do you realize that Jesus has had to deal with money more than he did the subject of hell? Hell was, was mentioned 13 times in the New Testament. You know how many times money, manna, references is mentioned in the Bible? Over 500 times. More than the second coming. I wonder why. Eight out of 12 parables are dealing with money. Money. I believe the reason is because he knows where our treasure is. There is our heart. And he knows that can be a very big obstacle. But look at... Uh, Look at uh, verse 10. It says, let me read the rest of this. It says, it says but they that be rich fall in temptation and snare and many foolish and lust, uh, hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Which while some covet after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It didn't say money was evil. Money's good. I mean, it's say. Money's good, amen, praise God, more of it, hallelujah. But I want to tell you this, friend, the love of it brings much error in your faith and pierces you through with many sorrows. That's the word of God. Now look at verse 20, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Paul's about to die, he's training a young preacher, and he says, listen, I'm going to trust you with the ministry. I'm going to trust you with the word of God. I'm going to trust you with the care of the church. I'm going to trust you to be a good steward of all the opportunities you have. So number one, write it down. Christian stewardship recognizes the position of a sacred trust. God has given you everything, everything, and he owns everything. Number two, 
Christian stewardship recognizes personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You know, I believe, folks, that God has called us to do something with our life. I believe God has not blessed you with health, wealth, and being an American just so you can boast that you're wealthy, healthy, and an American. And I am American, and if people don't like it, they can lump it and leave it. Amen? And if you burn a flag, I'll help you leave it. Say amen. One-way ticket to Istanbul is where I'll send you. Amen? You burn our flag. And I want to tell you something. These Kaepernickies that try to kneel down when they get paid $128 million that they're not worth, and then he, he got paid $28 million for changing teams. He has no right to de desecrate our flag because he thinks he's some great football player. Say amen right there. I wouldn't hire him either. He said, oh, that's discrimination. That's the problem. But, folks, I want to tell you something. Those men that died for that flag, those jaybirds that make a million dollars a game, can at least stand up with their hand on their heart and salute America. Say amen. I'm getting fed up with that. I'm not at the point of boycotting the NFL yet, but I'm praying about it. <laughs> amen. I love it. But anyway, listen, I don't love it that much. It's not a matter of racism. It's a matter of Americanism. Amen. Come on, somebody get riled up a little bit with me. And folks, I want to tell you something. We have a stewardship of being good Americans because somebody bled and died for our freedom. We ought to at least respect what they bled and died for. Say amen. I'm stirred up about it. I'm not going to campaign about it, and I'm not running for any office. But I want to tell you something, friend. We ought to realize there's a personal responsibility of our blessings, not just being Americans, being a Christian. Because my Statue of Liberty is the cross of Calvary. Amen. And I want to tell you something. I don't take it lightly. When somebody blasphemes my name, the name of my Lord either, or takes his name in vain, amen, I'll rebuke him if I get whooped, because I'm telling you something, he's my Savior, he's my Lord, and he's more than just a swear word. Turn to Matthew chapter 25 in closing, don't pack up and leave yet, and don't get hungry, but look at Matthew chapter 25, this sums up stewardship in one great parable. What's a parable? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That helps me because I'm not too bright. I can't figure out heaven, but I can understand these stories. And so it's a heavenly meaning with, with an earthly story illustrating it. And folks, we see that Christian stewardship, Christian stewardship, my friend, does, demands personal responsibility. The Lord expects a gain in the investment of your life. Say amen. And folks, you expect when you invest money that it makes something. Say amen. If you put it in the savings, you're making nothing. But I want to tell you something, friend. Listen to this. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country. Four, verse 14, get this now. Who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. Whose goods? The king's goods. Who's your goods? It's the king's goods. Amen? Folks, it's a sacred trust. Look at verse 15. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two and to another one, to every man according to his several abilities, and straightway took his journey. Do you see that? We're all different. We all blessed different. We all got different talents. We got all got different jobs. We all different different responsibilities. But we should be responsible with what we have. Stop comparing yourself to someone else and just look to Jesus and be faithful. 
And the Bible says, uh, Then he, he that had received the five talents went out, traded the same, and made them other five talents. Amen. Some investment there. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained another two. But he that received, verse 18, you with me? And he that received one went and digged in the earth, hid his Lord's money, and after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. That's the, that's the judgment seat of Christ. Now look at this. And so he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest to me five talents. Behold, I have gained besides them five more talents. Five talents more. The Lord said to him, well done, thy good and what? Faithful, what? Servant. Not celebrity, servant. If thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And also he that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides. The Lord said to him, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I'll make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Then he which received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man. He didn't know God. God's not a hard man. He's not a marine sergeant. He's a father that wants to bless you to be a blessing. Amen. So I knew you was a hard man. He didn't know God. Reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. I was afraid and I went and hid Thy talent in the earth, lo, there that hast, uh, hast that is thine. And the Lord answered and said, Thou wicked and slothful servant. You know what slothful means? Lazy. And thou, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gathered where I have not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then in my coming I should have received mine own with usury. And that means interest. Folks, I want to tell you something. God expects you to take your little life, whether it's one talent, five talents, or 20 talents, or 10 talents, and what you got, God gives you to invest in His glory. I mean, to give your life so He can touch it, multiply it, bless it, and use it miraculously. So Christian stewardship recognizes personal responsibility. Five, ten, one, it doesn't matter what God's blessed you with. You need to be responsible and you need to be faithful because, folks, God will call you one day to uh, accountability. And that's another principle that, of, of Christian stewardship. Not only does it, re it recognizes personal responsibility, but Christian stewardship recognizes accountability. In verse 19 of this parable, the Bible says this, And after a long time, after a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. There's going to be a judgment seat of Christ. And at that judgment seat of Christ, some people are going to have tears and some people are going to have triumph. Some people are going to have, uh, the Bible says, that, uh, you, uh, little children abide in me, for when I shall appear, you'll either be, have confidence or you'll be ashamed. Confidence means you did what God blessed you with and you was a good steward, you invested in others, you invested in souls. And folks, the only thing I know that's going to, Heaven from earth is souls. So if you're going to have a heavenly investment, you need to invest it in souls. Say amen. That's why missions is so important. That's why soul winning is so important. That's why your church should be so more, more, more important. And folks, listen, it's a day of reckoning. And then it just it's Christian stewardship involves, fourthly, life, time, talent, and treasure. We're stewards of our life. 
And folks, I want to tell you something. The only life that's worth living is the life that's involved in being a blessing and a channel. I got about five pages on tithing, but I believe that you realize that if you'll tithe, that God wants you to be faithful, that one-tenth does not, you shouldn't even touch it. And the Bible says if you do, you're cursed. The Bible says if you do uh, give of the first tenth, that he'll pour out the blessings of heaven upon you. Amen. The windows of heaven. That's what the Bible says, Matthew chapter 3. So that's Old Testament. Well, the Bible says in Matthew 23, 23, that you ought to give the tithe and more. I believe that you ought to let tithing be the starting point. Amen. What if I was still tithing as your pastor? What would you think of me? I give 33% of my salary back to the church. I don't, I've never said that before. But I want to tell you something. God bless, has blessed me abundantly. I mean, God has given me things that money could never buy. Money, God's given me peace and joy and purpose that I never could have if I was selfishly hoarding what God's given me. And folks, I want to say this. I want to say it real uh, quickly. Christian stewardship gets you in a spirit of grace that's just exciting because it's a spirit of faith and it's spirit of giving and that God supplies and God gets you involved in things that's way above you. I mean, this ministry's way above me. Brother, Brother Steve, I cannot preach without his spirit. I cannot minister. I cannot counsel. I cannot help families stay together. That's beyond me. But boy, if I can get into grace flow, it's not beyond God. And I want to tell you what's exciting. He used little old me to be a vessel to advise, a vessel to preach, a vessel to teach, a vessel to help, a vessel to heal, a vessel to lift up, and a vessel to love. It's beyond me. And that's what I want to close with is folks that real Christian Love, grace given, keeps you from being covetousness. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 5 that it's a sin of idolatry to covet everything. You know, everybody wants to stay up with the Joneses and the Joneses refinance and get ahead. You can't stay up with the Joneses. Pardon me, Kathy. You can't stay up with the Joneses. I was trying to think, do we have a Jones in here? I think we do. Amen. But anyway, uh, it establishes ownership. When, you, when you're in the grace given you say, Lord, this is not my money. This is not my children. This is not my house. This is not my job. You say, well, bless God, I earned it. And I, and, I, and I went to college and I got a degree and I had to study for four years. I did too. Look what it did for me. But anyway, listen, listen. If it wasn't the grace of God, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have enough sense to find your job, much less work it. Say amen. And you really wouldn't have sense to keep it. You'd offend the boss every day if it wasn't for God's grace. Because I know what you think about him. <laughs> Amen? Brother Alex, you better love your boss. But anyway, listen. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, friend. God help us. God help us to realize it's only by the grace of God that we have anything and are anything for God. And if we get so prideful, we think it's our job and our home and our kids and our life and our time and our talents and our money, you're in trouble, buddy. You're in big trouble because you've just got out of the flow of grace in your life. I want to close with this as soon as I get to it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, it proves the sincerity of your love when you're, when you're a grace giver. The sincerity of your love. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. This is where I wanted to get the whole message. 
and I only got about 10 minutes. Oh, I'll tell you what. How many give me about 15 more? Okay, praise God. Thank you. That's two votes. That's all I need. My wife and my granddaughter. Amen. But anyway, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. Whew, I just love preaching. I hope you love to hear it as much as I love to preach it. And if I didn't enjoy preaching, how do I expect you to enjoy it? Hallelujah. Some people get up here and look like they're going through painkillers. Amen. Trying to stand up here. Amen. I believe Hayden loves to sing. And I love to hear him. Praise God. You're about to kill Miss Rebecca, but praise the Lord, that's wonderful. Not that you're trying to kill her, but it's just you want to practice. And he brings his own photographer, and they take it serious. Hallelujah. Praise God. I believe somebody's going to walk in this church one day just to hear him sing, and it's going to be a blessing. Whoo! I just I, I felt some Holy Ghost goosebumps breaking out on my head on that one. Amen. But anyway, amen. As Brother Dean McNeese says, happy bubbles. I, I'm not that carnal. But anyway, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 8. The Bible says, I speak not by command. Oh, no, oh, no, no, no. Look at verse 7. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all the diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. What is that referring to? This grace also. Well, if you'll read verses 1 through uh, 6, uh, it's the grace of giving. He says, you ought to abound in the grace of giving. And this poor church did. Sent an offering. And they were in poverty and gave not of their own selves. They gave beyond themselves. They gave their own selves. But look at verse 3. It says, for their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Beyond their power. Folks, listen. If you live by figuring and finagling and feelings instead of faith, I feel sorry for you. Because you're nothing more than a calculator with tape coming out of it. Well, I got to figure what I can do. I got to figure this. Got to figure that. Figure that. Hey, why don't you just live by faith and let God figure it out? I don't mean you waste things. I believe you ought to budget. I believe in budgets. But I believe, friend, listen, God help us if we don't realize that it proves the sincerity of our love when we give. Look at verse 8. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of of your love. Well, I love you. You say that to your wife and you never give her no, you don't give her any time. You don't give her a gift on her birthday. Don't tell me you love her. You never give her uh, a moments uh, of accolade or appreciation and you're the greatest mirror of her self-image that's made, of, made by God. How you talk to her and how you lift her up is a mirror to her self-image. And that's why most women are just down because they live with a downer, powder, a pitiful criticism all the time. God help you, men, to realize the gift you got in your wife. I didn't hear one woman say amen. God bless you, ladies. That's your chance. You should have elbowed him and said amen. Okay, y'all missed it. Well, let's go on. Let's move on. Look at verse 9. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. That's the standard of giving. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. He gave. It was God who first gave. Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says that he'll give you much more because he died on the cross for you after all. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave. Folks, uh, spiritual grace given uh, brings God's love. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the, the chapter I'm going to close in. 
It says, every man according to his purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. You want God to love you? Be a cheerful giver. You want God's love on you? Be a cheerful giver. It brings God's love. We come in penny-pinching and cheapos and, and griping because the preacher preached on um, money this morning. God help you. The love of God's not on you. Because the Bible says he loves a cheerful giver. You know, there ought to be some shouting during this offering, not pouting. But I want to tell you something. While they're counting the offering, don't worry if they pout or shout. Just count it. Amen? And I love his. I wonder if he was pouting when he gave then. Amen? No, it don't matter. But I want to tell you something. It matters to your heart. It matters to your heart how you give. And, folks, it, it, it ought to cost something. 2 Samuel 24, 24 says that David wouldn't give anything that didn't, didn't cost him something. But here's, I want to close with this. Spiritual grace-giving stewardship brings God's blessing on your life. I'm going to tell you why. I'm just going to sum it up. He wants to bless you because you're not hoarding what he's given you because he knows you're going to be a blessing to someone else. So I've learned to get from God. I'll tell you how I learned to get from God because God gives. We ought to get to give. And as we get to give, he gives us more to get to give. But if we stop the flow and stay the pond, so to speak, God cuts us off, so to speak. He doesn't bless us because we're not a blessing. And folks, I want to tell you something. God wants to be generous. God wants to be loving. God wants to bountifully touch people's hearts. But when we stay it and damn the flow, so to speak, conduit from the upper pool, Folks, he, he, he cannot bless you unless you want to be a blessing. God does not fill you for a feeling, charismatic. Well, I want to get filled with the Spirit of God so I can speak in tongues and everybody will think I'm spiritual. He won't fill you for that reason. He fills you to be a witness. He fills you to overflow. Amen? He blesses you to be a blessing. And I want to come to this verse, and I want you to see that God will bless you if you'll put him first. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I'll start with that. Malachi 3, verse 10. The Bible says this. Verse 8. Will a man rob God? I'll never forget the time my, my preacher, Brother Paul Forsythe, started preaching on robbing God. He said, it'd be better for you to go up to Claxton, Georgia, and rob the drugstore than to rob God. Boy, it was a hot mess. Woo! I was assistant pastor, and I was under conviction. I was under the pew. He said, it'd be better for you to go rob uh, Evans Bank. That's the county. Uh, Tattano County Bank than to rob God. He said, "If you and how do you rob God? Look at it. it says, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Now look what happens when you rob God. You're cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Look at this now." Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse. And I believe the local church is the, is the storehouse. I really believe that. And look it up sometimes. Acts chapter 2 and 3. It says this. Bring you all the tithes in the storehouse that you may have meat in my house and prove me now where we are and say the Lord of hosts. Prove him. Put him to a test. It says, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. You know why there's not room enough to receive it? Because he wants you to give it. He wants to overflow you with his love. 
He wants to overflow you with grace. He wants to overflow you with peace. And folks, the Bible says this now. If you tithe, I mean one-tenth of the gross. You say, it's so gross I can't tithe. You can't afford not to. You can't afford not to. Hey, friend, I want to tell you something. Waitresses have went up to 20%. And they have to earn it when they're at my table. I mean, at least fill that water up one time, please, lady. Praise God. If I fall out on the floor, pick me up. If I get choked on a chicken bone, please hit me in the back. I'll give them 20% every time. But I want to tell you this, friend. Some people won't give God 10. Some people try to tip God. Give them a dollar. You know, the the most frequent offering in a local church is a dollar bill. $20, $40, $50, $100 bill. Probably don't see many of them. But look at this. It says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. You know what that's saying? He'll open the windows of heaven, but he'll also keep the devil off your back. It says this, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all the nations shall call you blessed. Here's the key to tithing. And everybody will say you're blessed, and you shall be a delightful delightsome, can't say it, delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. You know what they'll say? Boy, God's blessings on him. And you know what that does? That blesses the blesser. And you know what that does? That glorifies the giver. <laughs> Amen? You don't take credit for, yeah, I know, man, praise God, I got this business degree, and, you know, and I, and I work my way up, and I show up 30 minutes early and leave 30 minutes late. I deserve everything I got. And you don't give God glory for nothing. What you ought to say is, God got me out of bed. God gave me a, a wife that cooked me grits. I said, grits, John, grits. I mean, grits with butter and salt, not no sugar. And I mean, grits. And, and I'm preaching now. And, uh, and uh, 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 an egg, and praise God, some toast, and maybe even homemade biscuits. And it's only the grace of God that I get a woman like that because look how ugly I am. Amen. And you go to work praising God all the way to work for your wife that cooked you an over easy egg or a boiled egg or any kind of egg. Amen. And you go in the thing and you punch a little button and you make great carpet from strings and you say, boy, I'm, I'm just wise. I'm just good. You know, I want to tell you something, friend. If it wasn't for God, you wouldn't know what button to push. And you'd push the wrong one. And you'd show up at the wrong plant. And you'd say the wrong thing to the boss and you'd be home drawing Obamacare. Don't get me started on that. Amen. I'm preaching now. He'll, devi- he'll de- rebuke the devourer for you. I'm going to tell you this, friend. You, you can either tithe or God will take it out of you. Amen. I mean, you just, just go ahead. Just go ahead and leave God out. And I want to tell you something. He might, not do it, he might not do it physically, but I want to tell you something. If you don't honor and fear God and trust God, your kids pick up on that. and They become manipulators and selfish the rest of their life. It's a curse. It's a curse. It's a curse to lose your children to this selfish, devouring world. Set a good example. But let me close. My time's up. I want you to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. I want you to get in one verse. It'll set you free. Because, friend, listen, I, I, can't, I can't be faithful. I can't give. 
You know, by nature, I'm a very selfish, complaining, critical, cynical person. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good daddy. I'm not even a good granddaddy. It took me about five days to trust Emily to drive that car. That car's 10 years old. I didn't want her to wreck it. I said, oh, Lord, please. And mother says, well, I'll let her drive all over town. And Amy said that. I said, you did? She says, yeah, won't you trust your granddaughter? I said, okay. I get slipped in the back seat, got on the floorboard, said a prayer. We made it home from gondoliers this morning. Thank the Lord. It's a blessing. It's just a blessing. God's good. God's good all the time. And by the way, she's a very good driver. She takes after her grandmother. I did not teach her anything. I remember when I taught Jason to drive, we went over the mountain. Up on the mountain, I was teaching him to drive. And I said, you know, this ain't the, exactly the best place to teach somebody to drive. I looked over, there's about a 50-foot drop-off. We're, we're just going over Lafayette having a good time. I said, how do you like this driving? And he's loving it. And I thought about, where in the world am I teaching him to drive? <laughs> I can't even be a good instructor. But I want to tell you something. When the grace of God gets in me, it's God. Amen. When the love of God loves through me, it's Him. When the Holy Spirit preaches through me, boy, it's powerful. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on Him. And you keep that straight. If anything good and eternal happens, it's because of God. I've learned that. I'm so glad I have. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we'll close. I'm having such a good time, I don't even want to go eat. That is spiritual. But look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'll be there in a minute. I'm just, I'm just full right now. It says in chapter, chapter 9, verse... Verse 8. I've already given you that one about God loves a cheerful giver. But look at verse 8. I'm going to give you about five points in this verse. I'm just going to give them to you because it's late. It says, God is able to make all grace. Circle the word all. God is able to make, uh, God is able, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. I call that the cycle of grace. I call it the flow of faith. Number one, I want you to notice the first phrase, God is able. I want you to see the might of His grace. How many believe God's able? You know, I believe He's able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that I could ask or think. He's able to do things that I could never do, like be a good husband and love her as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. He's able to give me wisdom to train my children that God is more important in this world, even money. God is able. How many say amen right there? And then I see not only the might of it, I see the measure of it. He's able to, he's, listen, God is able to make all grace, all grace. That's the measure of it, all grace. What is all grace? That's the grace of saving grace, sustaining grace, and even giving grace. God's able to help you to live above your sorry self. And I don't mean to be detrimental or demeaning, but we are all sorry in ourselves. Say amen. And we will be sorry. And folks, the Bible says the measure of it, the, uh, the, the measure of it, but here's the manner of it. Abound, abound, abound. Oh, friend, listen. He wants to abound in your life. I want you to look at... Um, Oh, we'll look at that later. 
I want you to see also, I want you to see the motion of God's grace. The motion of God's grace is towards you. So here's the might of His grace. Praise God, here's the measure of His grace, and here's the matter of His grace. It's abounding. And thank God, here's the motion of His grace. It's towards you. You don't deserve to be blessed as much as you're blessed. How many deserve your good wife sitting next to you say amen? You better not say it right there. If you do, you're going to be hungry tonight, and I ain't got an extra bedroom for you. For you. I have for my dog, but I ain't going to have you come in there. If you, if you, if you say you do, your wife deserves you, who do you think you are? You think this party's all about you? That was a whirly song when I was coming up. But I'm going to tell you something, folks. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you. Now, here it is. That ye always having all sufficiency. There's the means of it. God gives you all sufficiency. i got to go back to one verse, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Would you look at that real quick? The Bible says, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of what? Of who? God. Our sufficiency is of God. Now, folks, you're sufficient in God. You're able because of God. So, folks, here it is. And God is able, there's the, there's the might of it, to make all grace abound. There's the matter and the, uh, and the measure of it. Towards you, that's the motion of it. But praise God, here's the means of it. It's all sufficiency in all things. And then here's the ministry of it. And if you don't get this part, you're going to stop the flow. That it may abound to every good do you see it? Where there's an inlet, there must be an outlet. Or you've got a stagnant pond and not a flowing river. You're a Dead Sea Christian, not a Red Sea Christian. As that little vacation Bible school teacher taught me when I was just a kid. That's the only thing I remember in my childhood. Folks, you need an outlet. God has ordained you to have an outlet. And you know what that is? Ministry! God did not call you to fill a pew with just you. He called you to fill that pew with some others. That's why we visit, knock on doors, write emails. I was at the church this afternoon writing emails to our visitors. They give me the email address. I, I write them and say, thank you for visiting. Let me just sum up this. It's like a big cycle of grace. It's like a flowing river. And folks, God is able. There's the might of it. God is able to... Um, uh, more than able to make all grace. There's the, the, the manner of it and the measure of it. Towards you, that's the motion of it. That you always having all sufficiency, that's the means of it. But praise God that you have ministry, that you flow, that you abound to every good work. God wants you to do things that you never could do in your flesh. He wants by the grace of God to flow through you. He wants to fill you with His Spirit. Look at uh, John uh, chapter um, 7, I believe it is. Now, that's my last verse. I hope it's not my very last verse. I hope it's the last verse tonight. John 7, and look at the, the verse that says about filling of the Spirit of God. What's it say? It says, He that believeth on me, as the Scripture saith, verse 38. He that believeth on me, and the Scripture has said, out of... His belly, innermost being, shall flow rivers of living water. 
God did not call you to be a container of His blessing. God did not call you to be an aquarium to show forth His blessings. God called you to be a river. And God didn't call you just to be a river. He just called you to be the banks, the channel, the channel, the conduit. And He'll give you the grace. So the last t- next time you say, well, I just don't think I want to give, you know what you're doing? You're stopping the whole flow of God. Give yourself to God. Give first fruits to God. Stop giving Him leftovers. I'd be a terrible host if I invited you down to a little 1100 Sunset Drive tonight and I said, come home and eat with us. If I didn't get out there in my little green egg, not get in it, and started cooking you something fresh, smoked pork loin or something, praise God, get my wife to make her favorite dish for you. What if I just... Went to the refrigerator and pulled out some leftovers. Had a little purple on it. You know, just, you know, just, a, little, just a little penicillin. Nothing to hurt you, kill you. I mean, it's been there for 15 weeks. Leftover meatloaf from Thanksgiving. And I said, here, this is your honored guest. I just gave you the leftovers. Praise God. I want to tell you something. God doesn't believe, need the leftovers of our life. God deserves the first fruits. And then he will abound with grace through you. Let's pray. Father, use this message. God, use it. It's the key to the Christian life. Lord, it's a sign of maturity. Folks, it's grace giving, but it's God giving through us. It's God living through us. It's God loving through us. It's God's Holy Spirit flowing through us. And we don't have to witness. You witness for us. God, help us to manifest you and let you be who you are through us. And God, if you're who you are through us, God, you are who you are through us, not just to us. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege of being your channel.